I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hi, this is Nadine Dietz, host of CMO Moves. I just wanted to take a quick moment to say thanks so much for stopping by today and to give you a quick overview on what to expect. CMO Moves is all about game-changing leaders, their incredible journeys, the moves that they've made, and most importantly, their personal stories of how they got to be the leaders of some of the world's most exciting brands. I hope you'll enjoy their stories as much as I do and take away a few tips and some inspiration for your day. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to CMO Moves. Today, I am bringing back one of my very first guests, who was episode number five, but instead of referring to him as episode number five, I refer to him as the fabulous Greg Welsh, who is the senior partner of Spencer Stewart. Greg, hi, and welcome back. Glad to be back. It seems like it was a long time ago that we had that first conversation, but uh, thanks for having me. Absolutely. It was a long time ago. So welcome back. We have a lot to catch up on. And I think the first question I have for you is, given that was two and a half years ago, what the heck has been changing around you? Except everything. Well, a lot, you know, like like you. I mean, the, the whole world changed in 2020. Um, on a personal front, lots gone on. We made a move to Florida. We're building a house. I'm actually moving out of a place that I'm in right now uh, with very little furniture left. Kids are off to school, and uh, things generally are good. I took on a new job inside of Spencer Stewart. I'm looking after the sales, marketing, and communication practices, which has been a ton of fun. And uh, despite a crazy year over the last five months, let's say. Business is good. We're robust and never been busier, honestly. Yeah, I can imagine. I've been watching from my seat and I see a lot of shifting, but I also unfortunately see a lot of losses because we've had a a really tough time. What are you seeing right now? You know, it's, uh, I call it the the bronze lining because there's nothing really silver about this. There uh, has been lots of bloodshed, as you would expect, and people that are dear friends of mine and in yours that are either cutting back their teams or being personally ousted one way or another, which has been just painful to see. These are great people that are super bright, that can add a lot and contribute to a company. Mm-hmm. And they maybe found themselves on the wrong side of COVID or other issues that we're dealing with right now. So that part has been trying for me and perhaps for you and our listeners. You know, we thought this was going to be a sprint that started, you know, five months ago and we were running and thinking we're doing Zoom calls from home and, and trying to stay connected, but we thought it would end quickly. And now it's turned into a marathon. And I think people are tired. And for CMOs in particular, I think they, they've taken a lot of burden on, on how do you keep your teams engaged, motivated, feeling good about it? We've got kids 
doing school from home now as we get back into the fall, which makes it traumatic. We've got CEOs that are looking at CMOs saying, hey, I need you. I need to figure out how does our brand show up right now? And we've got all this technology and things that are going on. So it's been a trying time, but you've heard me say it before. I, I still think it's a great time to be a CMO, but you better have a strong stomach. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, for those who didn't get a chance to listen to your first podcast, I'd be remiss if I didn't point out and share that you're kind of like the CMO recruiter God out there. You've placed at that time more than 500 CMOs in their roles and have continued to do that. But you also are looking for not just CMOs, you're looking for board members and lots of different roles. Is that right? Yeah. Well, like you, I spend a lot of time in the industry. Thank goodness I've got an amazing team around me. This is not blonde. It's very <laughs> gray. It's hard work. We've got a great team and, and we've remained really, really busy. And and as I've grown in the industry, yes, I still specialize in CMOs, but I've had the good fortune to do a lot of board placement, principally CMOs landing their first or second boards, which is great. I do a lot of president CEO work. And uh, now with my other duties, I'm, I'm kind of touching the team that's doing broader work as well. I've been, been fortunate. I've been, been with the firm coming up on 22 years now, which is amazing. Wow. A long time, but you've done a lot for a lot of people. And you were just talking about CEOs who are looking for new talent and calling you and saying, hey, I've got this role to fill. How's that been different in a virtual environment? Because wasn't it always so important to be in person and, as you would say, break bread to really understand if it's a good fit for you? Yeah. Well, it's funny. When I first started my career, we would have covert meetings in, you know, Four Seasons bars to try to meet somebody privately. And then it became more acceptable. I will tell you right now, access to people for me and for my team is incredible because for most part, people are at home and are quick to take the call. CEOs now, we've got a couple different things going on. We've got some CEOs that perhaps were on the losing side of COVID that needed to make dramatic shifts to their companies. We've got other companies, the CEOs that have said 2020 is going to be a tough year for us. It's going to give me a chance to rethink our team and how our structure do I have the right people. So some are making changes now. And in some cases, we've got situations where there were winners in COVID and during the last five months as well, and companies that are trying to accelerate that growth. And so part of what we found is, and I call it kind of the Da Vinci CMO, is kind of this new model. I was reading the Walter Isaacson book. Many of you have read the story of, of Da Vinci. And on one hand, if you think about Da Vinci, the artist, the storyteller, the sculptor, you know, brilliant, creative. Yet on the other end, and what I didn't fully appreciate is that he was an engineer, a mathematician, a scientist, an architect. You know, that's the math side. And the reality is part of what we're looking for is someone that's got both those skills from a marketing perspective. And I'm pleased to say that I'm seeing a, a centered grounding coming back where CEOs are saying, I need that performance marketer, but I also need someone, he or she, that can bring this brand to life, tell stories, motivate people, collaborate in new special ways, develop partnerships. You know, this, this came out of a CMO meeting we had in Cannes uh, two years ago, I guess now. And as I was coming out, I looked up at the Da Vinci Hotel and kind of hit me as I was in the middle of the book thinking that may be an aspirational place for us to think about, but I do think about the balance of having left and right brain. And when I see many of the top CMOs, they're out there putting that kind of brain power to action. You know, it's interesting because I can't help but think of Leonardo da Vinci's home 
his last home, because he had several of them, it was actually in France. And it was in a town called Clodulus. And it was François Le Premier, the king at the time, who built him that home and had a secret passageway from the Chateau, I think it's Amboise, if I remember my history correctly, under to his home. <clears throat> and I visited it many times. And when you walk in there, it's exactly what you said. It's science come to life. And in the most beautiful way, uh, everything that he built and designed has been replicated and to show off this ingenuity that he had. But that foresight, that ability to think about the future is also part of this, right? So we just had our collaboration meeting. Uh, we have six of them. And one of them was brand health versus performance. And you couldn't be more correct in your assessment. And like you, the big debate was it's not one versus the other. They both need each other. If you don't have both, they won't survive on either side. Well, one of the other things I would tell you that, you know, again, the positives coming out of COVID, the collaboration in the industry, and you're largely responsible for much of it. When I think about the DNI initiative that Adweek's doing, and I think about the collaboration teams that you're launching, some of the upcoming meetings, the sharing, including competitors within this industry is, you know, it's not my role to be proud of what the industry is doing, but it's been pretty extraordinary. Mm -hmm. And I know I spend a lot less time on airplanes and travel and in-person meetings these days. And I think the reality is all of us have said, hey, listen, we've got more time to connect with people. Mm -hmm. And I think we're becoming more accustomed to this kind of virtual forum. And the collaboration and sharing of ideas across industries has been fascinating. It's been one of the positives coming out of this. Absolutely. And I'm so glad you said that because one of the things I saw really early on, especially when COVID really was in starting to go into full force was, you know, you and I have talked about this a lot. All of a sudden we're without a playbook. There was no playbook for what we just went through. So we had to collaborate and not just collaborate for ourselves, but also this ingrained need to serve society required us to work together and do things differently. And I, I am like you, I believe that having gone through that, I am nothing but optimistic that there is a brighter future ahead. We always need to think about in difficult times like this, what can we take from it to rethink our work, what we do, regardless of how we've gotten here. When I think about the Black Lives Matter initiatives and what's happening in the U.S., you know, I'm, I'm again, proud of our clients. They've always been interested in having diverse slates, but there is a uh, mood now to think about how do we lift up bright, talented people and put them in some of these big jobs. And the industry is, is delivering. We're seeing more and more placements that happen to be diverse. They are the most qualified candidates in all cases, but it's good news and we're making progress as an industry. And you know, you've been in the middle of this with your BNI council. Um, the, the whole world is stopping, is having more candid conversations than we've ever had before. Our clients are serious about it. They mean it. They're prepared to, to move forward. And I'm, I'm optimistic that this has been a tremendous wake-up call and that we're never going to look the same, which is a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. And, and when we were chatting last week, too, we were um, talking about what are a couple pitfalls to avoid, though, because with all this change, all this moving, all these new opportunities suddenly becoming available, people are, are making choices to make big career moves. But there's a tip in there that you had to make sure it's the right move. What would that be? So part of what I've tried to do, and, and uh, my team and I are in the market, get to know people, to understand where their skills would best fit, culturally where they will fit, 
what personal nuances might impact their decision, size of company, ownership, location, what have you, such that when I call you, I'd like to think that you know me, you trust me, you know I know what might be a good fit for you, and we can have these conversations. Now, calling a uh, segment of the population to say, hey, let's think about making this move, I, I do worry that people may be moving too quickly, and part of what we're trying to do is to say, let's think back about what True North is on the job spec, what the requirements are. My team and I spent a lot of time making sure that we, when we put somebody in a job, we help them get off to a fast start. We want to see our placements, and quite frankly, anybody new in the job, we want to see them be successful. So there's a lot that needs to go on behind the scenes, and jumping just to jump because you hear about a great opportunity is bad you know, advice typically, although it could be a great opportunity for you, and of course you should, you know, begin to check that out. You know, the reality is I get probably 300 calls and emails a day. It's hard to keep up with this. We've got great people on the sideline that are looking for new gigs right now, and we're trying to be helpful to them. Uh, that's part of what has just made it uh, somewhat exhausting for the industry right now as people are trying to sort things out. They're yeah. difficult decisions. And, you know, when opportunity knocks, you can't always tell if it's a great one or not, honestly. Yeah. Well, that's good advice to, to really do the homework. Um, and, you know, just real quickly, and then I want to I want to get to the Spencer Seward CMO Summit, which we're going to roll right after this. Sure. We talked about tenure, and you guys have had a tenure report for many years, I think, tracking the CMO tenure. How's it changed, especially in the last six months? Well, I think when we first published it over a decade ago, it came out, it was 23 months, and it made headlines because it was astonishing and, quite frankly, appalling. Um, since then, the industry, I think, has pulled together to say, how do we make sure we can put some stick to into this? And we've got some legends in the industry that have held the job for a long time. It's now about 43 months. Um, so it's not the most volatile in the C-suite by any means. We've got work to do. It, it dropped a little bit in 2019. I fear it may drop again in 2020. I'll come back to you uh, early in the year. We can give you that data. But the reality is the market is very, very active. Some as consolidations, some are industries having to you know, make major changes as it relates to marketing. Uh, but I will tell you, my team and I are really, really busy right now. The market is vibrant. It's our clients looking for great talent who can lead organizations. And right now, CMOs are in the spotlight. I think it's a great thing. I'm hopeful that things calm down a little bit. You know, of course, it sounds self-serving when tenure is low. It's good for my industry. We're way beyond that. We really want to help the industry build credibility in the C-suite. And fortunately, and you know many of these, we've got great examples of people that are absolutely in charge. They're great collaborators. The CEO doesn't make many moves without having a conversation with him or her about key issues. And so I'm, I, I remain bullish on where we're headed, actually. Yeah, me too. Because you're actually on that team with, what is it, almost 20 different CMOs talking about what the new elevated role of marketing looks like. And most people agree, this is the opportunity for CMOs to really have not just a seat at the table, but a bigger seat at the table. And what does that look like? Right. So speaking of CMOs with big seats, you have three of them in your summit that we're about to share with everyone. Tell us about it. Well, super excited. As you know, we've held a big summit for over a decade, and typically it's been in New York on a given date in the summer. And when COVID decided to show its ugly face, we quickly realized that we needed to go virtual. And again, the bronze lining in this is it allowed us to go truly global, which is something we've been wanting to do for a long time. 
And we are thrilled to take on a topic of how do CMOs need to show up in times of crisis. And there's so much going on right now, a lot of things on, on people's plates. We opted for a very global, all-female panel. One of my great mates, uh, Richard Sanderson, uh, hosted it for us. And we had Janie Whiteside from Walmart. We had Sylvia Lagnano from Natura and Eric Kerner from One Championship. Fantastic discussion. Three of the very brightest in the industry sharing advice and counsel on how they're dealing with it personally. What sort of skills do we need to dial up? How do we motivate our teams? And I think for those of you that want to stick around and listen, uh, you'll find some great tips from three of the very best. So we're we're pleased and honored to be able to do it virtually this year. And I suspect we'll continue to do this. Yeah. Well, it sounds super exciting. I have had the pleasure of having a look and we're also going to be releasing the video. I'm really thrilled that we were able to bring this forward on CMO Moves and also get an update with you because it's been too long already. And I'm just really excited to work with you, Greg. You know, you are now part of our steering committee and uh, these are really important topics that keep everybody up at night. So thank you for being here. Thank you for allowing us to share your wonderful summit and thanks for your great tips. Well, you're, it's an honor to be back. Always great to see you and uh, thanks for, for sharing the summit uh, tape. I think uh, people will get a lot out of it. It's a great discussion. No, it certainly was. Thank Thanks you. Be well. I'll see you soon, I hope. All right. Yes, you will, for All sure. Right. <laughs> Thanks. Welcome to the 18th Spencer Stewart CMO Summit, but obviously our first virtual summit. My name is Richard Sanderson. I'm a consultant with Spencer Stewart's marketing officers practice and delighted to host our summit today. The topic appropriately, how do chief marketing officers turn up in a time of crisis? Normally, we would be on a stage in Midtown Manhattan, but necessity is the mother of invention and here we are online. It does mean we can be broader, more global and, uh, and obviously more inclusive as well. Uh, needless to say, this is a very unusual and a unique moment in time. The last few months have witnessed more change than we've probably seen in the last few years. Uh, most obviously, many of us are not with our colleagues. Our routines have altered. The way we engage with people has also completely changed. Um, and it coincides with uh, the middle of a very incredible political and environmental moment as well. And so the debate for marketing leaders feels more urgent than ever. Uh, initially, when we considered this, we thought of this as the beginning of a new decade and what would the 2020s usher in. However, it feels hard to look even beyond the end of this year, let alone five years out. Um, the questions that we'll pick up today perhaps even more relevant than ever. We'll be asking our panelists, how have their agendas changed? What do their teams need from their own leadership? And uh, how will marketing leadership evolve? To answer those questions, we're delighted to be joined by our first global panel. Uh, Erica Kerner is the Senior Vice President and Head of Marketing Strategy and Partnerships for One Championship, the leading sports media property in Asia. Erica is joining us from Singapore today. Sylvia Lagnardo is the Sustainable Growth Officer for Natura & Co. Uh, Natura & Co is a global beauty and personal care company. Sylvia is joining us from Brazil in Sao Paulo today. And Janie Whiteside is the Executive Vice President and Chief Customer Officer for Walmart. Walmart is the leading retailer and the world's largest company by revenue. Janie is joining us from the United States in New York today. So, my first question. Uh, what does the new normal look like for you? I realize a bit of a hackneyed phrase, but tell me a little bit about 
What do some of your routines look like for you now? Perhaps, Janie, I could start with you. What does your new normal look like? So, you know, I, I guess for us, um, uh, nothing has changed and everything has changed, right? In that we have been um, open throughout uh, this whole situation. We've been open for business throughout the pandemic and obviously um, throughout all the, you know, the, the social unrest and, and what seems to be this this sort of next iteration of what's happening. Um uh, we sort of talk internally. I talk a lot about this sort of five, 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 right? Which is, I think we saw five years worth of acceleration of digital adoption within five weeks. And as a marketer, um, that uh, either means that I've saved or I have to run to catch up and over $5 billion worth of marketing spent, right? If you think about the what we, what we would have spent. And, and so um, we've had to figure out how to rapidly uh evolve our business model um and the way that we communicate with customers the one thing we do know though is that uh we as i said before we've had this rapid consumer adoption in terms of digital tools so um for us store pickup and delivery sparked in my, uh, march and we saw over 300 percent year over year rise in that we've had a four-fold increase in number of customers trying to do pickup and delivery of their groceries and interestingly enough it's not just that you know people do are doing more online. It's the it's the breadth of people doing more online. So our highest growth rate in terms of digital adoption is with customers fifty years old or more, um, such that we've started to have to do digital how-to videos, how to order online, what how to pick up you know, groceries, and you know we're experiencing you know four, five, six million views on YouTube of a how to do an online shopping order video, which is which is incredible. So it's totally changed the way that we need to deploy our digital tools, but the way that we need to help customers you know, engage with us uh, in order to be able to facilitate the, the use of those. Right. That's fascinating. So that sounds like a story of change within change uh, and how do you sort of innovate on the fly. Um, Erica, out in Asia, in Singapore, what, what does the new normal look like for you? I, I, I realized perhaps your region of the world went through this earlier than other parts of the world. Maybe this is not the new normal for you anymore, but tell us a little bit around how your routines and customs have, have changed. Well, I'm trying to figure out what was the old normal. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I think that we we did go start going through this, I think, a bit earlier. And then we in Singapore lapsed into a, a second phase and went back into a, a second spike. Um, but now we're coming out the other side and, and hopefully we'll be able to maintain that. But I think for, for us, we're a sports media company and we, we deal with the two fastest growing sports in the world, which is mixed martial arts and esports. And both of these are digital, very, very digital friendly sports. So what we found actually during this time is that our viewership is actually increasing and more and more people are coming to us for more content more often. Um, and so it's been a very interesting time, but at the same time, it's been a very fast paced pivoting every day, just as Janie was saying in how we have had to adapt our strategies. And so it's been, I think, a, an interesting learning curve um, but one that we're very excited about because, as I say, we've seen viewership grow in both of our sports, even though we're not hosting live events. So very interesting times. 
Great. Thank you. And, and Sylvia, what, what does the new normal look like for you and your business? Uh, so we have four businesses. One of them we had just acquired, completed the acquisition, which was Avon. And then Natura, which is similar to Avon from a business model, but then Aesop and the Body Shop, which are predominantly retail, but were predominantly uh, normal retail. Uh, so I like, like Janie said, similar here, uh, incredibly rapid uh, adoption of e-commerce. Uh, for us, e-commerce was tiny, and now it's huge. And so, and I think that's uh, here to stay. Obviously, it's already started to go down a little bit as our stores uh, started to reopen. But even in, because they start to reopen east to west, uh, and as they start to reopen, we see a completely new level of adoption of uh, e-commerce sustaining. The other thing that we saw, which is uh, very exciting, uh, the positive side is, you know, we have about 6.5 million consultants or representatives between Natura and Avon around the world. We've been trying to uh, help them move online because if they sell with the help of social media, they get a lot more productivity, they can enrich a lot more customers and sell more easily, uh, but they were shy of learning. And we've got like unbelievable amount of time on training and interesting adoption of digital tools. So we see direct selling moving to social selling uh, very rapidly. Uh, for me, I, you know, I started the job in February. I moved to Brazil in February. We completed the acquisition of Avon in January. My role is meant to be more medium to long term and it's gone completely short term. Uh, I have one of the things I have beyond technology, sustainability, marketing, I have uh, communications, internal and external. So I've learned a ton because to do internal and external communications, not having done it before in a time of crisis at a global level across four companies, it's been fascinating. <laughs> right. You've, you've all spoken about this concept of, of change and innovation and really to some extent um, acceleration of trends that were already underway. Once we do go back to normal, whatever normal looks like, do you believe that some of these consumer behaviors that you've described, will, will, will they go back to the way we, we were or have we really entered a new phase of engaging, shopping, uh, and talking to our customers and consumers, how much of this is, is permanent versus how much of it is, is temporary? Janie, perhaps I could ask you how much uh, permanency you feel exists among some of these changes you've described. I mean, that's the ultimate question, right? But I think, um, uh, I, I think there's a good degree of stickiness uh, situated in this, um, particularly in the sort of um, uh, the habitual, you know, the sort of habituation uh, things. I mean, look, I think are people going to want to go out and explore luxury goods and touch them and ha and have that sort of experience right. at some point in the future? Yeah, I think they, I, you know, I think if you're, if I was at Chanel, it might be a very different answer than than I'm going to give you from Walmart, right? But I think once you've experienced the fact that you can actually you know, buy, buy groceries and consumables and longer tail general merchandise items you know, on your schedule that turn up on the doorstep you know, when you need them. I don't know that you, you know, I don't know that a lot of people go and wander around a supermarket for a series, you know, for a discovery experience, right? Some do, some do. And, you know, and there will be, I'm sure there will be journeys and use cases and all of the above that people want to get out. But I think a large part of this, our business um, is sticky. And I think, 
um, we are thinking a lot about the notion of convenience. And, you know, I think people have realized, uh, you know, they just want, I, I think there'll be a consolidation to fewer people, fewer retailers. There'll literally be fewer retailers around, right, when we come through this. I think people will consolidate. And how do you most conveniently offer as many things as possible that can turn up when you want them and, and how you want them? And I think that notion that actually you can do all of that and you don't have to go to all these places is going to be, uh, is going to stick. And I think there's lots of pros in that. And I think there are a lot of, cons and responsibilities, particularly for the largest players out there, to think about how we capitalize on that, but we also allow other boat, you know, other boats to rise and we continue. So, for instance, for us, how we do that, but at the same time help spark the economy, spark small business, figure out ways that, you know, we, we can engage them within our ecosystem and uh, it's, it's super important for us. And I think that's a, that's a responsibility that we've got uh, as, as these, these behaviors stick. I think it's it's such an interesting question, but it's such a big question because obviously there'll be differences around the world and there'll be differences in industry. Janie brought up Chanel and I actually was out this afternoon in Singapore and the line to get into Chanel was 20 people long. And every single luxury brand in the mall in Singapore was the same. And I know uh, China, for example, as well, who come out of lockdowns earlier than even we did, same thing, luxury is bouncing back. So I think it, it is a, the million dollar question because it's such a, a, a big question about geographies, but also types of retail. Yeah, that's a really interesting point. Um, Sylvie, you, you mentioned about the, the move towards, I think you described it as social selling as opposed to purely just digital commerce. What, what, what does that mean here? And again, is that a, a long term sticky trend or is that something we'll, we'll move away from? I, I think uh, what we've seen is both. Well, I think I think it's going to stick to uh, for those who adopted it because it makes them make more money more easily. And and I, to, to Janie's point, you know, if it's more convenient, it's better for you, and you can do other things with your life, or you can do more of something that you enjoy. So I think, uh, yeah, I don't expect adoption of social selling tools to go down. Uh, and I think it's very exciting that we've got so many people to learn how to do it. It's so much easier, so much better for them. But I do think that shopping is fun. We are seeing, you know, people go back to the ESOP stores. Uh, very, very much so. <laughs> There's a little bit of binge shopping, but it's also if it's fun and if it's a pleasure to go out and, and, and be there, why not? So Janie and Erica talk about the, the trend towards online. So I think that is going to stick. Uh, I think that businesses have realized that travel is less needed and that offices are less needed. So I do think that there'll be a different approach to how we work and investments in real estate and travel, in particular business travel. Uh, I do think, I hope that the attention to inequality is going to stick. Uh, I think uh, there's a completely new level of consciousness, and I and I hope we don't lose that. Uh, and I guess last thing I was going to say, we are very involved with things like domestic violence. All our best, two of our businesses, Avon and Natura, have been for a long time, and now it's a group effort. And it's shocking how much it has increased. So I think that you know depression has increased, domestic violence has increased, and and at the same time people's focus on their personal well-being has increased. But I think those are obviously 
huge issues, but good that awareness has gone up and I'm hoping it doesn't go away when life goes back to normal. Well, you brought up an interesting topic about some of the more profound changes that we've been witnessing over the last few months that have become more intense, but it also puts a burden on us as, as leaders in terms of how we show up, uh, how we lead, how we respond to, to our teams. I'm, I'm just curious for the three of you, how have you adapted your own leadership and communication and engagement style uh, in this environment? I'd be certainly interested in any observations around how you choose to lead, how you have led, uh, and how that's different over the last three or four months compared to your the style that you've probably built up over years and, and, and decades. Um, Janie, I'd love to get a sense of how, how are you leading right now? How are you engaging and how are you communicating with your teams? It's a great question. Look, I think there's an interesting dynamic that is very Walmart specific in that, you know, Walmart grew up out of Bentonville, Arkansas, as everybody knows. Right? It, had, it had this very tight culture that was based on always being together all the time in home office or out in the stores, right? You went forward and back. And, and, and as the company grew and we brought in more domain expertise and located people on the, you know, in the, in the Valley and on New York, you always had this, you know, uh, you know, this issue in that, you know, being in New York, although I was in Bentonville a lot, the rest of the time you were always the annoying person on Zoom, right? Asking somebody to move their head, right? Or like try butting in or like, um, it's been a great equalizer. For us, it's been a great equalizer because it doesn't matter now if it's Doug McMillan, me, Mark Lare, Suresh Kumar, like we're all on Zoom. So that's been actually, um, to some degree, I think a great learning experience for us culturally, particularly, you know, across all levels. The second is we've actually found we're way more efficient because everybody was together all the time. Everybody's in meetings all the time. Um, and my team would tell you, you know, this notion of you have the meeting and then there's like the post meeting that would happen on the walk back from the conference room to the desk has gone away. Um, so there's lots of positives and we've certainly seen our capacity to focus and innovate much more quickly because you can just get everybody on, uh, on a call. I think, um, you know, uh, having said, you know, we were in, we, ha we had all these big meetings. I mean, I think communication is key, super clear, super, yeah, you have to communicate, communicate and communicate. Uh, and you have to be able to make sure that we're creating connections. And so, you know, that involves, you know, for, for me, that's, you know, a, a weekly video message to the team, right? We do a weekly, you know, we were doing a weekly, you know, touch base, you know, there are multiple thousands of people in the teams, but we, we kind of get them all on and, you know, open Q and A with me and my leadership team, um, much more so than, than, than we'd ever done. Right. Um, Erica, I'm curious, how, how, are you, how are you communicating? How are you leading? Uh, what are people well, learning about you that they wouldn't have done if you were in the office? <laughs> well, I think we've all been on this COVID coaster together is the way I look at it. Um, but, you know, I think for me, we're, we're, we're the opposite of Jamie's organization. We're, we're a startup. We're only eight and a half years old with um, about 200 people in the organization. So, you know, for us, it's, it's very different in, in how we're communicating. And so for me, I think the biggest change is I have to be much more purposeful with my communication. I can't just bump into someone on my team or a colleague in the hallway. I can't go out for lunch or coffee with someone to make sure they're doing okay and that their mental well-being is okay during this time. 
some people will reach out to you and say they're struggling or ask for help, but others won't. And so I find that the biggest change for me is really taking time out of every day to check in with someone on the team, whether they report to me or they're a colleague, just to make sure they're doing okay, because we're all in this together and there are people who are really struggling and it's, it's hard to know that when you're just on a call. Um, so I think that's, that's the, the biggest change for me is that thinking about it rather than it just happening naturally because I see my colleague and I can see that they need help or they're struggling. And, and for you, Sylvia, I realize you joined Natura earlier this year. So people, many people, I would imagine, didn't know your leadership style before coming in. And you probably had to introduce yourselves to many people virtually. How, how have you done that? Tell us about your onboarding experience and how you've done that in a virtual way. Yeah, thank you. I uh, yeah, I've done almost. I've had a month of uh, traveling, still a little bit, meeting people in, uh, online. I have been on the board of Natura Co for four years, five years. Been in, in the transition from Natura to the acquisitions of Bishop, now Avon, and becoming Natura Co. So I knew a lot of people. I think that all my onboarding has been online uh, and very special and very nice. It works beautifully, and uh, and it's been phenomenal how much more quickly I'm able to do it because I can talk to people in different countries uh, without having to, to to travel, and everybody got used to doing it this way. I think I think the core, the top leadership team got much closer. What we hear is how much more effective we are as a group, how much better we know each other. We we've now started meeting every two weeks, but for, until last week we're meeting every Monday for an hour and a half, which is a lot more than we would have done if we weren't going through this crisis. And we liked it and we continue to do it. And we found that was a lot more effective than long, you know, two day meetings. So we stopped those. So I think, uh, I think I would, get, I would say the only thing is, because I'm loving this approach, uh, but a lot of people aren't. So last week we had a very large meeting and we asked people to say how they're feeling, three words on the screen. And, you know, we had one of those word maps forming and we had almost a thousand people. And there's a lot of like, I'm exhausted and I'm lonely and I'm tired. So there are lots of I'm proud. And I think our people are very proud, especially, you know, we launched our sustainability vision two weeks ago in the middle of all this. And I think people felt, wow, like the fact that we have the time, we reserve the time to do something that's such, you know, such long-term uh, nature. Uh, but uh, I do think it varies a lot in our personal circumstances. And it's not always obvious to me, who was needing what kind of help. So I think we are becoming more and more, much more aware and asking more and changing our approach depending on who we're talking to. So there are some people happy to never go back to the office, that people dying to get back to the office. Right. Uh, Erica, you actually have, a, I think, a somewhat unique perspective on COVID-19 due to the fact, I think you were living in Asia when SARS hit 18 years ago, you've already lived through a quarantine as a result of that. How different, similar does that feel? Uh, any lessons or learnings or experiences you can share from that, particularly as a, as, a, as a leader and manager of teams and people? I definitely think that living through SARS helped me be prepared for, for this pandemic. I mean, again, they were on very different scales. Um, but the way that I was living in China at the time in Shanghai, 
and we were on lockdown, we were in quarantine, you know, it was very, very similar to how things are, are operating right now. Um, but it, it gave me the, I think, the confidence to understand how people were going to react to this. Um, but what I think is most interesting is it was 18 years ago. Social media obviously didn't exist. So the way that the world has communicated during this is very, very different than it was during SARS. In SARS, it was very much, it felt like a China problem, whereas this is really a, a world problem. Right, good. Um, <clears throat> we've obviously witnessed some incredible societal change over the last few months and a renewed focus on diversity inclusion. Um, Janie, this is really a question for you at this point. I'd love to get a sense of how is Walmart thinking about this? Obviously, as the world's largest company by revenue, you are you are very present. How are, how are you taking steps to address diversity and inclusion? So, uh, you know, it, it's on our minds a lot. Um, and I think there are sort of multiple, I think there are multiple layers to this, right? One is obviously our corporate commitment, and we've committed $100 million over the next number of years against a series of broad-based initiatives um, that, that we've announced, which, you know, transcend pure philanthropic work, but really get into how are we, uh, how are we, digging into communities and how and how can we make relevant systemic change so there's there's that way of going across which which is great um uh you know uh, but to me it's about some of the actions that you take day to day and so we you know just as leaders have been having a lot of um you know we call them courageous conversations i don't really know that that's the right word, but many of the conversations have been quite uncomfortable. I will tell you that as we listen and we learn and people talk about their experiences and, you know, the series of small things that, that they have experienced uh, uh, either working within the company or in, in, in life. And, and we think about, you know, how we how we learn and grow and, and, and get better by by understanding as colleagues, as leaders, um, you know, as, as, as a retailer, how, how, how can we evolve and get better? Um, uh, so those have been going on. You know, there's a series of company commitments about how we make sure that we have the right voices at the table and the right processes and structures and practices to be able to hire and recruit and retain and engage and grow uh, uh, diverse talent across the customer org, where I think, you know, I say often, if my team is not representative of the customer, then how can we build product, service, and and, and tell stories that are that, that are rightly representative? And so, we actually, um, you know, uh, across lots of dimensions, are way more diverse. You know, made made up uh, of a way way more diverse group of voices. But we're making sure that those are appropriately heard. And you heard me talk earlier about making sure that we have the right. Um, direct relationships with a series of agencies and you know one of the uh things that that i heard as i've been going through these leadership sessions which is interesting is we have a series of diverse owned agencies typically they work on segment-based creative why would you restrict those agencies to only working on segments and why wouldn't they why wouldn't you allow them to pitch you know more, much more broadly and, and 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 see what that that looks like and feels like um so we're working through how we do that we're working through how we create you know, the task i've given that the team is go and find the most progressive 
creative, exciting, provocative, uh, diverse voices uh, and figure out how we get them to input and push the, the Walmart business forward. Tell me a little bit around how some of these changes have reinforced your diversity inclusion efforts. The fact that we were discussing the commitment to life during this time uh, led to uh, more reflection and tightening or being a bit more aggressive with the drafts that were there, you know, before um, we got Avon on board and before all this happened. So we call our the three pillars on our commitment to life and we call that this the relevant one to this conversation we respect human rights and be humankind. But the things that were there are the ones you'd expect. So, you know, absolutely no tolerance to human rights issues chain. So there's a, a very bold commitment on traceability in that respect. But uh, women, uh, you know, majority of the six million consultants and reps are women. Uh, they work mostly part time with Natura and Avon. Uh, both companies had a lot of commitment to improving women empowerment and education, health and obviously ability to earn and be independent. And I think their I think it's just to strengthen our commitment to the right model for social for direct selling. You know, we we never went pyramid or or extreme multi level, but I think a, a stronger consciousness about uh, tracking income and tracking how much they're making and making sure that they're making more and more every year, and the education health is also improving, and also uh, a lot of work for communities in the Amazon with the same. Uh, Focus. I think where you know, I think women in management, Natural and Co is extremely almost up there already on 50/50. But there's a little gap on on payment, on on earning. So I think both on that and on having making sure, absolutely sure that everybody in the company is at or above living wage, uh, we decided to go there faster. So we made a commitment on women gender equity and on living wage to just get there within two years. Two of our companies are B Corporations, and B Corp has a metric on diversity, which is to be on the highest score, you have to get 30% of your management to be of underrepresented groups, and we decided to go for that. It's a very bold target. We said we're going to get there in no more than 10 years, uh, but it's just the beginning. We had a lot of discussions in the last month about it. We decided to go for the high end, uh, the most ambitious, uh, and we are nowhere near. Uh, now, now the interesting discussion starts, which is like everything that's legally doable yep. <laughs> in in terms of recruitment that we can do to get there as fast as possible. But we're very excited to kind of hold hands and go for the highest that we think is a very bold target. Great. Thank you, uh, Janie, Erica, Sylvia. Thank you for joining our first global panel. We found the one time, the one hour of a day that I think overlaps for all of us. So thank you so much for adapting your calendars. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, I would love your help in sharing CMO Moves with one of your friends or colleagues who you think might enjoy it too. And if you have time, I would really love your review or ratings on Apple or SoundCloud. So thanks again and have a great day. Hey there, podcast fam. Are you ready to break free from the social media rut? Hold on to your hatch because we've got just a thing for you. Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for leveling up your online presence. Whether you're a personal brand or a company, they've got the tools and know-how to take you to the next level. With Viral Growth, forget about those endless hours of video editing. 
They handle everything from brainstorming to polishing your content so you can just focus on being awesome. And guess what? We're hooking you up with a sweet deal. Use code ADWEEK for 10% off when you sign up. Ready to take your social media game to the next level? Head on over to viralgrowth.io and let's turn those digital dreams into a reality. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.